Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. The World Cup marches on. England have done the decent thing by keeping it interesting for everyone else at their own expense. And as we speak, India are on course for their fifth win of the World Cup, while not looking that good. I'm Yazrana, and today I'm joined by the editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Phil Walker. How's it going, Phil? It's going... That's it, right. <laughs> okay, great. It's just great to be on the other side of one of these podcasts for once. I can sit back, I don't have to present it, I don't have to worry about what's being I, said, I don't have to edit it, I don't have to send it away. It's just lovely, yeah. Well, it, a, feel, it feels like my day off. A, you've never edited them, <laughs> and B, you said something very similar to me last week. Um, it is really good to be back in our in our oval commentary box. In our box, favoured or oval. Or Churchy's oval commentary the, box. The Mark Church commentary box, yeah. Looking over a sunny oval. Um and today, for the first time, a man who doesn't need any introduction at all, former Surrey and England all-rounder, Zafran Sorry, great to have you on. Thanks, really good to be here. We'll ask you a bit more about your career in a bit, but just to kick things off, what are you up to these days? So right now, I'm, I'm doing very little. Um, I've just finished my law conversion, um, and I've been working alongside that for various legal charities. Um, I recently uh, got pupillage at a barrister's chambers, which means now I go through the process of studying to become a barrister and then training uh, on the job. So I have three months of, of doing very little this summer, apart from watching some cricket, reading some books. And writing some magazine articles for Wisdom Cricket Monthly as Correct. well. Yeah, just to clarify, Zafra is joining us uh, for the next few months as one of our columnists. So that should be great fun. You've been watching much of the World Cup? Um, I would say my uh, watching of it has been very much second order. Uh, I've tended to to follow people watching the game predominantly, so I haven't necessarily um, what seen. What does that mean? So yeah, I haven't seen much of it live myself. I don't yeah. have Sky. Um, the way you said that, I thought you meant like you were watching people watch it on the TV. No, no, no. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I'm reading people who've been watching the games. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of have very few, I think, original thoughts about what's been going on. Um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting. Well, great. Um, I don't want to talk about today's game too much. Um, but Phil, mm. we both were observing that India's batting seems a bit light. Yeah, it's it's this problematic middle order, isn't it? And with Dewan's uh, departure, they've moved KL Rahul up to open the batting. He, he got 40-odd, I think, today against the West Indies. He's got 50-odd. Uh, not too long ago as well, but he doesn't massively convince uh, as an opening bat. He, he was in there at number four initially. They called up Rishabh Pant, uh, who we as as English observers revere, and indeed Australian observers do as well. But you were saying earlier, not quite uh, as iconic a figure amongst Indian fans as maybe yet, he is over I here think. yet. Uh, we, we what we saw of him last summer and what the Aussies saw of him yeah. down under he's, in yeah, the Test game, I think excited us. But I'm not sure if he's, he's, he's only quite played those five, five ODIs though, right? Yeah, only and he's not 
done that well, but he does have a strike rate of 130, which yeah. isn't yeah. bad. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's perhaps the best young cricketer in the world. That's my that's my feeling. We've we've run a big feature in in the the current magazine actually, and and he comes out very very high up in that list of the best young cricketers in the world. Uh, we polled a number of people for that as well. He's not yet played in this tournament. Watching what I saw today when they, they rather scraped up to 269, I think it was, and they obviously fluffed their lines against Afghanistan in what would have been the mother of all turnarounds if Afghanistan had just got over the line for that one. It's not really uh, clicking at all yet, their batting lineup, but they have such a gun bowling side that they are... Um, able to pull these games around. It's looking increasingly likely that they're going to do that against the West Indies as well. What are they going to do down the line? Um, well, they have to solve the, the the Dhoni conundrum a little bit. You know, he's 37 years old now and, and he's not the player that he once was. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about that before. And whilst I've been the, the, the main anti-Dhoni proponent, um, I would say, though, that that's not their main concern. So Mohamed yeah. Shami batted eight for them today. Sure. Vijay Shankar back four. How is Vijay Shankar India's number four in a World Cup? Yeah, I mean, that was a surprise when he when he waddled out to bat at number four. I mean, he was a work-a-day uh, IPL player, really. He's in his late 20s. He doesn't really have enormous pedigree. And, it, and it's surprising when you think of the embarrassment of riches that India have that, that they have alighted upon him. Mm. Pandya, that, I don't think they fancy Pandya in at four unless it's in the last, the last ten. Mm. Um... Jadav has hardly had a bat in this tournament, but you know he, he's a he's a decent player. He took 120 off England in 70 balls a year or two ago, uh, but he he looks out of form in part because he's hardly picked up a bat. They are in some ways hamstrung by the brilliance of their top three because the don't get a go. They don't get a go. Uh, it, they are not as well oiled a machine as we were maybe expecting them to be at the start of the tournament, and, and the Dewan thing obviously impacts them. But as I say, their bowling side is is frighteningly good, really. You know, Bumrah is is a champion, and these two spinners on pitches which are turning more than we were expecting, and we saw it massively again at Old Trafford, albeit on a used pitch, just as we saw it at Edgbaston yesterday in the in the the Pakistan game. Uh, the ball is, is is moving off the straight regularly and uh, it's making for an interesting tournament and it is balancing uh, India's India's bat- batting and bowling quite usefully for them at the moment. They are doing enough to get through it, but they are not convincing really with the bat. For what it's worth, I would open with Pant, move Rahul back to four and I just think that looks like a much more solid top seven. They can't really do much uh, about the bowlers. I, I, I would be surprised if, if Pant doesn't come in, especially... If they qualify on the back of this game against the West Indies, they will have, well, they'll have a mouth-watering game against England on Sunday. Edgbaston, and it's going to turn, it's going to turn bad on Sunday. Zafa, how do you how do you see this 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 England India game? It's it's looming a spectre on the landscape. How do you see it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to to predict. I think England have a decent chance um you know if you, if you kind of step back away from the the troubles of the last couple of games and you you look at it more structurally i think england have lost two games and they've got such good players that the chances are that some of those will come off um you know this, this third game mm-hmm. um as you say india are a very good side have some very good individuals but it seems to be a theme of of the the tournament that you know batsmen six seven and eight aren't producing particularly um, 
And so uh, there will be a time again where their top three don't come off. Um, they've managed, one of them at least has managed to score runs in every game. I think Kohli has scored runs almost uh, every match and, and there will be again a game where that doesn't happen. Uh, and I feel like it could be this one. There are echoes of Australia actually in, in how India have gone, that they've relied on their four or five champions, but it doesn't look like a team that is strong from one to 11. That might, you know, potentially need more than that to win a World Cup though. If you if, you're, if your yeah. best five players are that good, that can be enough to take you over. Could I add just one further point? Um, I mean, I'm interested to get your views. The lack of all-rounders, of genuine all-rounders, I think has been quite an interesting um, aspect of of the tournament i haven't noticed uh any anyone producing equal perform- i mean ben stokes has probably been the best there but but otherwise i, I haven't again this is from someone Sha- who hasn't Shaqib seen as well and shakib yeah pa- pandy has done well outright though i would say yeah yeah and i think it's a fair point generally you thought that as cricket became more and more professional that you'd have more and more rounders like england have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to rounders in the test uh game but it's a fair point. So yesterday in the New Zealand-Pakistan game, Jimmy Neesham scored 97 out. Great innings. But you would you would say that Jimmy Neesham at six um, and also him being the, the fifth bowling option, it makes both New Zealand's batting and bowling just a bit light. And I feel pretty much every team is in that position. Yeah, and you also, you, England. Ma- also you mentioned Stokes. He was under-bowled at Lords against Australia, I thought, uh, and has been managed his bowling bowling quotas have been managed quite quite uh severely really by England in, in the last six to tw- six to twelve months and it's almost as if the expectations on multi format cricketers and multifaceted cricketers something has to give within that. I mean Zaffa you, you know you, you did you did both disciplines um, very, very effectively and successfully for Surrey for a number of years. Were, were you aware of that when you were a player that, that one had to cede to the other, in effect? Yeah, I think it, it happens naturally. You do uh, ebbs and flows between sort of the different um, aspects, parts of the game. There were periods where I was a batter who bowled the occasional over and then and then I quickly switched from being a bowler um, who batted down the order. So yeah, you, you don't necessarily have the control over that that you'd want. And I think lots of people strive to be genuine rounders but it, it's a very difficult thing to do across multiple formats um yeah for a long period so when you're an 18 year old breaking into that sorry side um well he, you're man of the match here on debut um did you see yourself more as a batsman yeah definitely um it must have been pretty weird making a test debut a few years later batting 10 yeah um, but but it also changed very quickly i was i would have said a batsman up to about 18 i then took a five wicket haul against surrey for for cambridge um, and um, continued to bowl quite well across the formats um, and played a particular role in one-day cricket as a bats- batsman. And then um, eventually I got the opportunity to open, scored a few runs, and, and it flipped around again. So um, I didn't have much control of it, but yeah, I, I definitely saw myself more as a batter growing up. Stokes said that to me a few years ago as well, when he couldn't score a run. Mm. Couldn't score a run for Durham uh, one summer and was was running through teams with the ball. And... I spoke to him and he said, yeah, but I'm still a batsman who bowls. I just, the stats don't back it up. <laughs> and some of it is in the mind, isn't it? Some of it is is what, what what you tell yourself, how you define yourself as a cricketer doesn't necessarily always tally with, with, with those numbers, which can be reflective only of a certain truth at times. You know, we, we've spoken about that before as well, you know. Yeah, and I think that is intentional sometimes. Like you would, I would actively say I'm, I'm a batter. 
in a way because I knew my bowling was slightly better and it took a bit of pressure off my bowling and yeah. and vice versa. So you, I think, can control that. Um, you can kind of frame that narrative to yourself and uh, and then go from but there. When did you last pick up a bat, Zafar? Just uh, yeah, well, that, see, this is interesting. I, I've played one game this summer um, How do you go? for a Surrey Masters team and... Uh, in terms of whether I'm batter or bowler, I, I couldn't bat. I honestly, I faced 10 balls and scored six runs and, and it was horrendous. And then the ball came out very nicely when I was bowling. So right. it was a kind of interesting inverse of that, you know, childhood where I was always always felt like I was more of a batter. Well, you were certainly shadow batting downstairs <laughs> as we were waiting to, to get in the lift to come up to the show. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Still in there somewhere. Yeah. I, I agree with both, both, uh, with both of you of what you said about the importance of bowlers in the World Cup. But I want to talk about one batsman, one batsman that Phil really, really likes and he talked about in detail yesterday. Um, Zaf, basically, Phil loves Babrazam. And he's he's he, ever since we started the podcast, uh, it's what a two minute segment on each episode, basically on Pretty you much, and Barbara's yeah. arm. And uh, after his hundred yesterday, the episode starts with two minutes of Phil just talking about Barbara's arm. Um, I was really annoyed because you didn't mention the stat that I I I WhatsApped you a really good stat. You did. About I, I didn't want to overdo it. Yes. Okay. I thought, I thought two and a half minutes when I'm basically talking to myself was probably enough. I genuinely didn't know you were the <laughs> get with, you were the guest for two and a half minutes. That was um. You thought it was just going to be a monologue. Uh, uh, like an excited Alan Bennett style <laughs> monologue. W- w- wouldn't, wouldn't put it past you. Um, but that, but that stat is that the most runs scored in a cricket World Cup by somebody twenty-four or under um, is quite quite an impressive list. So one Satchin in ninety-six, two Davilias in two thousand seven, three Ponting in ninety-nine, four Lara in ninety-two, and five already is Babra's arm in twenty nineteen. That is um, some list to be a part of. And the reason I wanted to bring him up was. Watching Pakistan's win yesterday, watching Babo's reaction when he scored 100, it just seems to mean so much to the Pakistan players and the fans. Zainab Abbas, who's presenting mm. uh, the World Cup for, for the ICC digitally, she hosts the Pakistan Super League. She's been in this game uh, for a while and she really knows her stuff. She said that she has never been to a ground with atmosphere like that. Well, it's one of the few home games that Pakistan play. Yeah. In front of a proper crowd. You know, you can't count Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the, the, those peculiar sort of desert funeral games that they have to play. And obviously they don't, they can't play at home, certainly not international cricket. Uh, when they play here, it must feel like playing in downtown Lahore in the best possible sense. But Baba was quite emotional when he yeah, got to his 100. he was. And he, he, he's not, from what I can tell, a particularly demonstrative kind of character. And yet... There was a hell of a lot that was let out there. But then when you saw the the scale and intensity of the response to the India defeat, which is obviously predicated on disproportionately vast grounds anyway, as we know, and it would have been impossible to have avoided what would have happened back home as well in Pakistan. And social media is, is rabid and in your face, however much you want to try and cocoon yourself as a player. Uh they were forced to to kind of release various player based statements after after the India game. Please back us. Please support us. When Imran Khan, the two headed Imran Khan, as as greatest cricketer ever and prime minister, uh, is personally sending messages via social media about the team over the course of every game that they're playing, it's it's incomprehensible levels of of pressure and expectation. Uh, and and you would have to be rather rather an unusual character not to feel that and have that 
enormous explosion of emotion at the end when you do win one. And it's contrasting that with, with England and England fans. So the atmosphere at Lords, the Australia game, was objectively pretty poor. There wasn't I like the noise. atmosphere at that game. I like the atmosphere at that game because it was tense and quiet and there was a hum to it. I think I think there are different ways to watch games of cricket and I think the the kind of the, the, the undulating tension of that game was reflected in the way that the crowd watched it. I didn't have a problem with that personally. Just as I don't I certainly don't have a problem with it being a cacophonous riot and a din and I was at Old Trafford for the India Pakistan game and it was phenomenal to be a part of that. Mm. Uh I, I think there are different ways to watch games of cricket and I think sometimes the, the, the crowd reflects what's taking place on the pitch and vice versa. Maybe it was a bit harsh there, but I think um, what you said about the, the, the pressure that's on the, the Pakistan players, what, one thing I find fascinating is their their stars at the moment are young guys. Babra Zahm is 24. He's he's and there. You mentioned Shadab as well earlier. Zach, he's, he's, he's 20. Shaheen Afridi took the third best figures ever taken in a World Cup by a teenager. He's a teenager and they're very well aware of the pressure that's on them. And I find it odd to watch that they're in the same tournament as these England guys who are playing a tournament that they're playing for the team that's hosting a tournament in which a country doesn't really know the World Cup's going on. And against them, this Pakistan side, who a World Cup win would be enormous for them. Yeah, I, it, pressure is a weird thing, and it, it seems like it's it's the word of the week when it comes to to thinking about this World Cup. Definitely, um, playing in front of big crowds, raucous crowds, it takes pressure off a lot of the time. I think as a player, you you, you remember it's a game when you're playing in front of a crowd um, that's loud and enjoying themselves. Um, I I maybe this is hindsight. I don't know. I tended to feel least pressure in front of the biggest crowds here at the Oval on a Friday night right. in front of 25,000 people because it felt like a game again it yeah. felt like that thing I was doing when I was 12, 13, whatever um, it was when I had to turn up here on a Sunday in front of a thousand people in the pavilion that I felt most pressure um, so I I think sometimes we use this word pressure and we don't necessarily sort of interrogate it closely also I think there's a lot of pressure obviously politically there are issues um, and, and they seem to impinge on Pakistan's cricket a lot of the time but being away from that environment just being in another country takes some of that burden off I think they're yeah. not they're not surrounded by necessarily by people um, yeah. calling them into question in the same way that that the England players are and, and I think that that helps definitely in England cricketers there's very little jeopardy for England cricketers if you lose sure people are going to be a bit pissed off you're going to get the odd reaction on Twitter there's going to be some op-eds written in the, in the Times the day after what's gone wrong with English cricket. But let's be honest, English England cricketers are walking away with you know a lot of money in the pocket. They're going to be obviously upset by the result, but they then just pick, that, pick up the story and they go again. Um, and if you're an England cricketer, then you know that you're going to be comfortable uh, and that there's going to be jobs available for you after you retire and so on and so on and so on. You are not dragging a nation with you you are not effigies are not burnt of England cricketers if they lose a, a, an important game of cricket, a so-called important game of cricket. I still find it in, incomprehensible how players from from South Asia are in that in that, in that that astonishing psychological situation on a daily basis. That people people are in bits. People are broken hearted 
if you miss a straight one and you lose a game of cricket? Yeah, I mean, I, I think two things. Firstly, I think it's overestimated how much pressure the England team are feeling at the moment. I think it's that's talked up. Um, I think that they've lost games because they've played badly. Um, as I said um, you know, earlier, I think it's the media that tends to feel the pressure in these situations more than the players. They don't know what to say. They don't know how, know how to analyse what's gone wrong. Uh, and, and really, when they're talking about pressure, they're often reflecting how they're feeling. Mm. Um, but secondly, yeah, I agree that that gradient is it's the distinction between the pressure that England players probably feel playing a, a normal bilateral series um, two years ago and the pressure that they might feel during a World Cup which is quite quite a large gap. Whereas if you're a Pakistani player, maybe you feel that same level it's of tension true. every time you, you step on the field um, and yeah. therefore um, you're more uh, acclimatised, attuned to that. Just very briefly, on, on you mentioned the young players coming through. It's great to see because Pakistan have struggled for batsmen just in, in recent years. And now not only Baba, but they have, I think Imam Al-Haq, although he hasn't really scored big runs in this tournament, he looks like a good player to me. Uh, Fakhar Zaman as well. He's a bit of a dasher, but he's got talent. Harris Sahail, I thought, was as good as Baba yesterday, if not better. Why was he out the side? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So he's now made an 89, I think, and a 68 or 9. Um, it back-to-back Very innings, quickly, very he played innings. the shot of the tournament. The uppercut, uh, yeah, Rabada, yeah. into the grandstand, is shot of the tournament. That was stunning. M- moving on. Um, yeah, so on July the 5th, Bangladesh played Pakistan at Lords, which could be one hell of a game with a quarter-final, a semi-final place on the line. I, I can't wait for that. And, um, and England might be waiting for that result? Is that... Because it comes after the yeah. Chesapeake So if, if England lose one and win one, that game England will be waiting on the result, hoping that Bangladesh win. That's presuming that Bangladesh lose to India, which you never know in this tournament. England could already be out of the tournament for that game as well, by the way. So um, lot, lot, lots could happen. I basically wrote the, wrote off. Uh, <laughs> basically wrote the tournament off two weeks ago. <laughs> we, we, we do say a lot of things that sometimes come home to, to bite us. Yeah, I think it's um, fair to say. Some some big cricket news today. Marcus Shkothik announced yes. that he retired from professional cricket at the end of the 2019 season. He made his first class debut in 1993. That's before Oasis' debut album Definitely Maybe came out. John Major was before you were born. Uh, not that long, um, but John Major <laughs> was Prime Minister. Uh, he, he's a proper throwback to a previous generation. I mean, he's a throwback to his own generation, basically. Um, didn't have the physique of somebody you'd imagine would play professional sport for 26 years. A 2005 Ashes winner. He played ODI cricket in a way that was literally a decade ahead of his peers. Um, did away with foot movement years before it was cool. Um, <laughs> a, a modern day... England great. Yeah, I I, some, I guess occasionally get asked like who was the best batsman that you bowled at um, other than Coley or Root yeah. or whoever. Um, and the two people I tend to say in, in at least in sort of first class cricket were Rob Key uh, and Marcus Trescothic. Uh, and Keezy will be thrilled yeah. with that. <laughs> no, no, he, he was, he, I mean, he was very difficult to bowl at. But yeah, Trescothic, you know, had the all round uh, game against spin, the all round game against uh, Seam. He was, so what was, was he so hard to bowl at? You well, he's a big guy. Um, Just club you over mid-wicket. So, yeah. No, I mean, so he, he would often, um, you know, take off stump guard, get his big right foot um, outside off stump and, and sweep you. But he was a very adept. He had quick feet for a big guy. Um, he could get down, knock you through. Good touch for a big but, man. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, he, yeah, he, he sort of had the all-round game. We, we used to do the Cricketers Who's Who um, in, our, in our office. We used to produce that and... 
the question would be to every county cricketer who's best cricket you've played against. And it would be a straight hit between Ramprakash and Triscothic yeah. year after year after year. Pretty much sort of 200 each for those two. Standout cricketer, standout bloke as well, Triscothic. Um, I... I first came came across him in the Cricketer magazine probably about 1990 when I was about nine and there was a photo of a portly bloke, a portly little lad um, who was breaking all records in the Somerset Leagues and he was about 15 and he'd been given a, a V500 by the, by the magazine um, because he, he was breaking all records and he looked so ungainly. How do you remember this? Because it always stuck in my mind for whatever reason. I maybe I thought maybe I thought that might be me one day. I don't know what it was, but anyway, I always remember that little black and white photograph in the back of the magazine. And I've actually spoken to him about it, and he's still got that back. He's, uh, he's still got that little Harrow V five hundred. Um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think long term, uh, I really hope that he'll also be remembered for being an innovator in the field as well. It's not properly caught on yet, but have you seen what, videos of him? Yeah, him fielding yeah. on his knees at a spin. <laughs> Um, that, I really hope that continues. Yeah, personal recollections as we're doing this. Um, Edgbaston day one, um, 2005. He he'd never scored any runs against Australia. He str- he struggled at Lords. McGrath nicked him off twice. Uh, he'd not got runs in Australia as well when they toured to o two o three. We'd got beat quite comfortably as we know at Lords, and he just ran down the pitch at Warn in that first session, and we were 130 for naught at lunch uh, and obviously that set up the mother of all games but it was Triscothic's attitude I thought that that morning uh, and we'd never seen an England batting lineup dare to behave like that maybe Peterson opened opened the took the took the cork off at Lords possibly but Strauss and largely Triscothic went after Warren that that morning and it was sensational to watch and it just set that whole summer up feel like I'm watching uh, the box set all over again. <laughs> he, he, was, um, he was the sort of player that you felt the Australians respected. And yeah. that, that seemed to be almost a marker of whether you were a proper player or not. I mean, there were lots of players, good players, who they didn't probably respect. But he felt like one that the Australians thought, yeah, this is someone we need to get early. Otherwise, he will he will hurt us. Do you have standout memories from that summer? You're, you're still quite young. You would have been young during that 2005 series. You're allowed to say no. Technically, yes. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. There are a lot of people. I, I think, very formative. Series. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I think I think I have exactly the same memories as as everyone else, which are you know of watching some of those um, matches, the Edge Baston game, the the Oval match, and and just being uh, taken by it. Really, um, yeah, it was an important time when you, when you, I was I think fourteen, and you know you start to have to make decisions about what you're going to pursue, and I think uh, I'm sure it made a difference for me uh, in that decision. Zaf, you didn't quite do a Triscothic. You packed it in all age twenty five. Um, <laughs> Nice link, <laughs> very nice link. Yeah, it's very um, nice. You you just toured uh, with England. You were a, a very capable opening batsman, frontline spin bowler across all three formats. Simple question: Why why do you stop? Um, I think you know Go talking about the top. <laughs> well, firstly, like if you're yeah, being very capable is sort of um, indicative of perhaps lacking something more special. Um, and I think that you know I I was capable definitely uh, and I, you know, I had a, a good county career but it, it wasn't ever going to be Joe Root Moenali. Um I think also you know talking about Trescothic knowing people I don't know him very well I've just you know I just say hello to him um, but knowing people who've played with him they say how how much enthusiasm how much love he he's always had for the game but he continues to have 
for the game even into his 40s um and i, I just didn't have that uh, and so um did you ever have that i think when it was going well i really enjoyed the game uh, and there were there was a sort of a three-year period i'd say in my career where it went it went as well as it almost could have gone for me uh, wickets runs and so on um and I, I really enjoyed that period um but that obviously isn't a good test of whether you you really love something um and i i don't know if i if i really loved it um enough to definitely want to do it for 15 years um so yeah it, it was that was part of it um I read that you said that watching the hyper competitiveness of Coley, Stokes, Root, etc., in close quarters when when you toured with England uh, made you perhaps realise that that playing cricket freshly wasn't for you. Two things: number one, do you think that if you were you were Moeen Ali levels of, of of in terms of natural talent, do you think you would have played longer? I think it would have been a, yeah a much harder decision um, to give that up. You know, the, the other side of it, which I tend to say when people ask why why did I stop is that I was restless I wanted to do something completely different um and that would have existed whether I was Mo and Ali um and I, I don't know how those two things would have have worked out whether they would have cohered whether I would have been able to to continue for for longer um and then and then go in another direction but um I, I for a while for a couple of years before I, I retired I, I was looking at other things and thinking I want to be doing those or I want to be starting to move in that direction um, so was I'm, there yeah, a trigger sure. that made you make the final decision <laughs> I mean I played a terrible innings here uh, against Lancashire right. the, the, which was effectively the game that I retired after um, I, I got two off about 30 balls um, Simon Kerrigan bowled me with with a good delivery but you know the the feeling of embarrassment when getting out is is pervasive um but it it felt different um right. that game walking off having just batted so badly um so so in some ways i f- i feel like that that was probably the trigger you know the, the innings before i stopped um but but as i say i think it what i mean i'd kind of come to terms with retiring over the previous probably 12 to 18 months um and so the trigger probably would have come at some point, uh, you know, that summer. Yeah. You're working with the Refugee Council just up the road. You mentioned this to me a few days ago. We've I've played against Refugee Council, as I told you. The Afghan opening batsman hit Ben Walker, who's now at the ECB, for the biggest six I've literally ever seen. Um, what compelled you to go and, and, and help out uh, in this very, very important cause? Well, it's, it's, I suppose, a continuation of what I've generally been doing for the last couple of years since retiring so i've been doing the law stuff um with the sort of vague intention of becoming becoming a lawyer trying to become a barrister but alongside that i i've wanted to actually work uh, in the real world um kind of uh get to understand and and try and deal um, with issues that i think are important and i you know the, the refugee cricket project which i'm just volunteering with uh is really nice because it combines um you know something i i do enjoy which is cricket uh, with with something that I think is important, which is you know supporting these people with immigration advice and and welfare advice and so on. So uh, it's a really nice mixture for me. And and how to how to play cricket as well, right? You are involved in the the coaching side of of this. Yeah, predominantly I'm I'm just basically throwing balls at, at young. Um, watching them fly over this. your head. Yeah, and and just and I I suppose yeah, realizing or appreciating how much value the sport has um, as a positive activity for particular groups of people at particular times. 
Obviously, your attitude towards cricket is different to most cricketers by the fact you retired when you were 25. When you, when you were playing county cricket, this is before you got the England call-up, was playing for England the, the ultimate goal? No, it, it wasn't. I mean, I, I was always aware that it would be, um, you know, an incredible honour, something that, that would um, be an amazing experience, definitely. Uh, but I think... And I don't think this is unique necessarily. I think that a lot of county cricketers really are focused on on doing their job well, um, and that's kind of a trite thing to say. But but really, they are. I think I never felt, or for quite a lot of my career, which wasn't that long, but you know, for for the first three or four years, definitely, I didn't feel comfortable as a county cricketer. I thought, you know, that imposter syndrome type thing. Am I good enough to be even a professional cricketer? Um, and so I, I I didn't really ever think about England. Um, I just wanted to sort of average 40 with the bat um, and take, you know, 25, 30 wickets in championship cricket. And that was my aim. You've you've played... You, how long was your career in the end? Six so years? Six, six and a half years, yeah. yeah. It, do you think that there are cricketers out there who are um, underwhelmed by the game, struggling with the game, not enjoying the game, but feel, in effect, trapped inside it? Uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think I think a lot of cricketers enjoy the sport and and get a lot out of it, but feel like it's the sort of thing they would love to do for a, for a chunk of time and move on to something else. But because mm. of the way that you know the sport is a, is, is professionalised and um, the amount of commitment that you have to show at a young age, you you do potentially get trapped in it, um, and and it does become something that you you can't necessarily escape or that you don't want to escape because you're being paid well um, because your identity is bound up with it do you feel um, that you were how did it feel knowing that you were slightly different in terms of your priorities to a lot of the other players in your dressing room like you, you shared a dressing room you similarly to someone like Jason Roy two <laughs> quite different characters um, and you're in a in a sorry dressing room uh, that has gone on to do really really impressive things did, did, how, what was that like being different were they very accommodating of you were they was that a known thing that you 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 had different priorities yeah it, it everyone was very accommodating um i'd grown up with all these guys so it wasn't sort of a random thing that happened when i was 18 or 19 it, they kind of we knew each other very well um i would say that my priorities weren't necessarily that different when i was playing i think the difference and, and i at the time i probably did talk about having a degree of perspective because of an interest in other things and so on i'm not sure if that was the case i think i think in fact practically the difference was that i just materially had an alternative like a very clear alternative um potentially which was um you know a professional job based on the fact that i had a good degree uh, and i think that that alternative existed and, and was helpful um, because it meant that at the point that I really didn't want to play cricket anymore, I had somewhere to go. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, you know, in terms of how I felt, my priorities weren't necessarily different. Maybe different politics, maybe different kind of... Um, I, I would do different things with my free time, but I don't know if um, how I actually felt was particularly different. Um, I read the, uh, an interview you did with The Guardian a couple of years ago um, you you were describing being in the England dressing room when Donald Trump was elected US president. So I remember that really clearly because uh, that was the game that Hasiba me made his test debut, and I was covering uh, the US election night uh, as part of a student 
university paper and I had to go to the university US election party and I was watching Haseeb Hamid open the batting on my phone <laughs> whilst uh, whilst supposedly covering it. You were always um, going to come and join <laughs> us in the end. Um, you said that it was a very politically significant time. Trump was elected on the first day of our opening test in India. You were batting 10. Uh, you weren't allowed phones in the dressing room and you were getting little snippets of information from security, but you felt disconnected um, to something that you are interested in. Um Hey, wh- wh- what what were the other players' reaction? Uh, did they care that Trump was elected? Yeah, they they found it interesting. I think we had had conversations during the trip about Trump, the significance of Trump. Um, but the nature of Donald Trump, I suppose, is is um, or, or his his maybe his skill um, is to present himself as as this figure of entertainment, um, and I think that that was mainly how he was viewed within the team to some extent. I mean, they were aware of, of some of the shocking things he had said, but um, inevitably, if you're not following it particularly closely, um, he, Donald Trump is the presenter of The Apprentice. It's, it's a different version of Trump. And I suppose that um, I was following it as closely as I could and therefore was aware of this sort of um, nationalist, isolationist kind of approach that he was taking very right wing. And, and I found that, uh, you know, Quite troubling. <laughs> here, here. Elsewhere in the world, uh, it's been a really good week for Phil. Actually, not only did Barbara Zam score his his hundred, um, Nicholas Puran is is going to play for Yorkshire. Yes, I gathered this. Yeah, great news. Um, he, he's just a dreamboat, isn't he, Puran? He didn't get any today. Uh, in fact, he rather typifies the West Indies World Cup campaign. Really, Puran and, and Hetmeyer. Flattered to deceive. We did say right at the start, actually, of this tournament, one of the few things that we've been vaguely correct about, that that middle order of the West Indies has just been a bit too fallow at, at this stage. It's the one thing we've got right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, they are two fine players, obviously, and they will provide the backbone of, of what, what looks like yeah. an interesting team, In- team down the line. So, yeah, it's it's, it's good. And it's another... Because Babar, of course, is playing county cricket as well so it's 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 two very high class young players um that'll be five five games for for yorkshire yeah um there was something else uh that i wanted to ask both of you and i think uh zaf you think you might have an interesting perspective on this so there was a, a study uh released this week that said that 43 percent of england's uh male test team uh all knows it the world cup squad can't remember which one it was basically 43 percent of the england team or in the squad, uh, are privately educated, which is more than rugby, and it's one of the highest um, percentage of any profession in the country. Um, cricket's obviously got a long way to go in terms of di- diversifying itself. I don't really have a, a, a question, but as somebody uh, who played the game, and you went to Hampton School, so privately educated, what can cricket do? It's basically yeah, the, the, the I least mean, diverse sport I, yeah, in that it, respect. It, which is quite depressing, right? If you want, if you like a game, you want more people to play it. And if you hear stats like that, that's suggesting that not that many people are playing it. It's really depressing. Um, you know, I think that there are obvious things to do which um, are uncomfortable, but perhaps going back to free-to-air TV, those sorts of um, those sorts of things broaden the game and 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 perhaps um, encourage a wider array of people to get involved obviously the the mismatch between british asians who play the game uh, and british asians who then play professionally um is part of that problem because 
the majority of British Asians are going to be going to state schools, um, as as are the majority of the country. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's obviously it's obviously a, a massive issue, um, but but it it's obviously a, also a reflection of of broader problems with um, you know equality within society, and I, it's almost feels as if trying to solve the issue in cricket without thinking about it more broadly um, is, is perhaps missing something. Something you said before we went on air that I thought was quite interesting because it's something that I've thought for a while is that you, you were talking about cricketers' pay. And without getting into specifics of numbers, I've always felt that cricketers do actually get paid quite a lot of money. If you're an England player, if you're in the England World Cup squad, you get paid loads of money. Even if you're a county player, for a 21-year-old playing at North Hans Worcester, you're actually on, compared to what your peers will be on, a lot of money and you're doing something that that, that you you enjoy um is there an awareness of that in in cricketing circles that players do earn a lot of money for the av- for the average person because all you ever hit really hear is of oh, they are not compared to footballers they're anything which is true but they are still earning way more than the average punter yeah i think that the issue is because you look at football and you see uh, the mismatch between that and cricket um, it's easy for cricketers to say, well, you know, we're actually working harder than footballers. We're putting in more time. Um, why are we not getting paid more? Um, but I don't know if there's an, uh, an awareness of, of just how well-paid cricketers are, but but it is. It's it's extreme, really, um, especially at the top of the game. Uh, and, I, and I think that that is something that, um, I mean, yeah, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a fact. I, I'm not sure if... That's something that that needs to change in order to encourage more people to to play the game or or not, or whether the fact that so much money goes um, to the top of the game means that uh, the development of the, of the grassroots is is somewhat restricted. Um, I mean, I have no idea, but but that seems a possibility. Did you make your debut at Rajkot? I played. Uh, it was my second game. I played against Bangladesh yeah, first. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wrote about this uh, for the Almanac what, three, two or three years ago now, um, the question of social mobility in cricket. Um, of that top seven in the Rajkot test match, um, Moeen Ali grew up in Sparkhill in Birmingham in a council estate, went to a school with 40% free school meals. And Ben Stokes grew up via Christchurch in New Zealand, of course, son of a nine-fingered rugby league player. He grew up in Cumbria and went to Cockermouth School. Of the top seven, they were the only two that didn't go to a private school. Hamid? Hamid went to Bolton School on a scholarship. And the ECB released a statement soon after this social mobility study. And it was 43% of county cricketers. It wasn't just of the England side. Uh, And they released a statement hastily um, on the back of it, um, trumpeting the the scholarship scheme, which is undoubtedly... uh, a fair point up to a point, I think. And by a certain measure, it's true. Joe Root, for example, went to Worksop College via a scholarship. Hamid, as I said, various others as well. Many others, in fact. Um, but it doesn't sit entirely comfortably with me either because while it's useful, it's great for the individual and it rewards an individual's aspirations. What about all of the others? What about all of the others who have no no reason other than just just another excuse just to kick a football around because there's no there's no cricket in their state school uh the only beacon of inspiration a joe root at at 12 
has been parachuted out of that school and moved to a to a school with 14 cricket pitches uh and it just further illustrates the dividing line i think between the haves and the have-nots uh and so there is no there is no sense of of um of fairness at all i think in this in this issue and uh, now people will say well this is life so shrug shrug your shoulders and i actually spoke to um alex stewart about this and i asked him the question because i think the last four england debutants this was last year had all gone to private school or public school whatever we call it in this country it's always bizarre isn't it mm-hmm. anyway the last four had all gone to um fee-paying schools and i said to 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 the gaffer who of course oversees the intake across leafy surrey but also in a london as well i said should we be concerned by this and he didn't understand the question he thought we should be celebrating this fact because in his mind and he's his job is to produce really good cricketers they are getting great facilities great services great facilities and, and we should be celebrating the fact that that young cricketers uh whether they come from a well-heeled background or whether it's scholarships uh are given the best possible chance to become top quality cricketers and there wasn't any consideration for for that whole swathe of of, of young people who aren't get, getting even close Going back to what I said earlier when I slagged off the the, the atmosphere at Lords, I think what I actually kind of meant was that the, 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 the average member of the crowd did not look like an average member of the public. You know, people were dressed in suits. Uh, they they looked far more affluent than the average person in the street. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason why this World Cup is increasingly... Uh, are becoming in, in, increasingly... Uh, I don't know what the, what the right word is. D- yeah, disillusion probably is the right word about the World Cup. It's because I was really excited about it. I was really hoping that this World Cup would engage new fans, but it just hasn't. Like, it still exists in this silo, doesn't it? Exactly. And w- what's the what's the point? Genuinely, what, what's the what's the what's the point? I, I know we can enjoy cricket for what it is, but when you see fans of Pakistan, Tune fans of India, <laughs> fans of Sri Lanka, they care so much. It is yeah. like, well, look, if you sh- if you show cricket to a wider population, they can really love it. Why can't we do the same? Well, how, how do you see this, Zafa? Do, do you think that cricket is too smug, too comfortable in its own skin? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've written one thing about cricket basically since I retired and it was an exchange um, with Mike Selvey uh, about the death of Test cricket. Um, you know, I come to that thinking Test, test cricket is, is the ultimate form of the game and... Um, and is the true test of a cricketer and so on. Um, but really, I think my, my argument was a kind of sociological one, which is that test cricket, um, and, and perhaps it was a, it was an optimistic one in some ways, uh, in that um, for cricket to expand and to, um, to get beyond um, itself, uh, its kind of posh, middle-class um, constraints, it might have to break um, away from the model that has existed yeah. Um, for a long time, yeah. uh, and and really, um, that that might be part of of the process. I say that. On the other hand, I've just read Beyond a Boundary, mm-hmm. um, in which C.L.R. James talks about the the value of cricket and, by implication, Test cricket, given that it was written in 1963 for um, you know Trinidad and and for for the community that he grew up in. So so it's not one sided. It's not straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think I think that um, there is a comfort with with cricket um, amongst a particular group of people. I get recognised basically by very few people, and the only people I get recognised by publicly 
come from a particular background and 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 that's very obvious to me because they they make it obvious to me but um yeah it's 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 a, it's a difficult complicated question but yeah Zaf, thank you so much for coming on. That's definitely been, honestly, from my perspective, the most interesting podcast we've done. Um, Phil, thanks for coming on. I'm always here for you, yes. Uh, and, you're, and you're back tomorrow, aren't you? I'm back tomorrow with, with Vish, Vidush and Hansa Raza, who's had a very good World Cup, it's, it's got to be said. Um, we'll be we'll be picking apart uh, the Sri Lanka-South Africa Why are you laughing? Because it's it's rather rather down down the pipe, isn't it? Um, we might Sri Lankan be we, we might be talking. They could they could they could. Let's get yeah. behind the, the the Sri Lankans, eh? Yeah, we well, might be diverting one or two conversations tomorrow evening. Wonderful. I, I, look, I look forward to listening to it. Thank you, Jaffa. Um, thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. If you haven't already, folks, subscribe. Uh, oh, just a quick message on 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 how you listen to the podcast. I think Spotify is the best place to to list to Bond. It comes comes on uh, comes quickly. iTunes and the app and the podcast app can be a bit slow, uh, so I reckon listen to us on Spotify. Cheers, folks. Podcast Network.